to Estradiol Illusions. We have a returning guest and a returning in-studio guest. We have Colin George Babb here with us to talk about 13 Reasons Why. If you're a big fan of the show, you would have known Colin from our on the subject of gay Dumbledore episodes. So uh, once again, we've brought Colin here to do a controversial topic, which is funny because he actually, uh, the original plan was for his next appearance to be all about Power Rangers, decidedly less controversial, unless we're talking about the post-Zordon era, but we're not going to get into that. Uh, Colin, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, my name is Colin George Babb. I am a working actor in LA. You know, please get me work, someone. Um, I am obsessed with television, and I'm obsessed with talking. And what better way to bring those two mediums together? So, before we dive into a broader discussion of the show, I wanted to address my own review of 13 Reasons Why, which I recommend you read before you start listening or before you keep listening because it'll kind of set the tone for a lot of uh, what I'm going to say. But but before that, I would just even note that I have gotten more uh, messages, Twitter DMs, Facebook messages, that kind of stuff about this show, 13 Reasons Why, than... Any other thing I've written, and I gave it a fresh rating. I was pretty critical of it, but overall, I enjoyed the season. And I think that a lot of people, uh, is especially just just following the the messages that I've been getting, I gather that a lot of people come to this show because of the broader emotions that it evokes, and not, uh, you know, you're right, dozens of. Uh, hundreds of reviews a year and uh, tend not to get really supercharged feedback, but this show uh, brings something out of people. And before we, we really dive into uh, a discussion of this show, I mean, the, 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 the notion of morality as it relates to, to television and to film is complicated because if you tune into CBS or uh, plenty of other channels, their primetime lineups are filled with murder mysteries, and we don't really sort of sit back and think, gee, why do we just sit and watch these detective murder shows uh, hour after hour? I think, you know, we, we don't... As somebody who's obsessed with watching Law & Order isn't thought to have a uh, broader love of uh, death or that kind of stuff. It's, it's entertainment when, and to, to just even note that would, um, where was I going? Um, it's, it's entertainment. And with, with shows like that, we can leave it at that. Now there's a flip side where if you have a, a show, uh, a movie or a TV show where there's just, a lot of gratuitous rape or other really explicit content. Uh, that is where you could maybe, um, that is where you would draw the line. But, you know, as it relates to 13 Reasons Why, this is a kind of show that does definitely, uh, it's controversial to say the least. And that's, uh, it's okay to have supercharged opinions. 
Uh, some of these messages, people have just been DMing quotes from my article to me over and over and over again. I think that's probably kind of weird, but, uh, you know, I, I digress. Do you think, um, wh- what are your thoughts on, uh, on, on controversy in film and television, Colin? Um, so I was, yeah, I grew up in, uh, the same time frame as Family Guy, South Park. And so you always hear the same thing from concerned parents about, oh, this is, uh, this is corrupting our children or what kind of messages are you sending to the children? Uh, think of the children, you know, like Helen Lovejoy. And from an early age, I was always to the point where it's, where I'm thinking, you know, we can distinguish between, you know, what's okay to say or what's okay to do or act on versus cartoon logic or the awful things that we see people do. Um, and then you, my, my thought of course is why are you getting mad at the TV show? I mean, shouldn't you be looking inward? Like, shouldn't you take a better responsibility for the media that your children consumes. Um, and then, cause I have a lot of, uh, I have a lot of friends who work in healthcare and mental health. So when it comes to shows, when it comes to shows like 13 reasons why I the same thing I hear over and over again is the show's irresponsible portrayal of mental health or how it deals with suicide and violence and sexual assault. And I can see where they're coming from. So the show's not for everybody. No. And of course this, the easiest thing would just be to say, don't watch it, but we wouldn't be having this conversation if that was all that people could do. So I guess I would like to, when I think of controversy, when, when I think of controversial TV shows, I want to figure out why is it controversial? Why are people upset? Um, where is it coming from? Or do you just misunderstand the show's message or the show's ideas or the show's concepts? I, so I think that part of, uh, why this is, is, is challenging is the show itself with all of its disclaimers about mental health. Um, I think the show does, does, take some uh, strides to project itself as something that is cognizant of the sensitive subject matter that it's tackling, Mm -hmm. which is then, you know, the disclaimer of, you know, go seek a crisis, manage, uh, you know, seek help if you're, uh, the message, the the disclaimers that it's airing at the end uh, for people who uh, might be experiencing troubles of their own, Kind of contrary, the the concern that those project does kind of contrast with the uh, often fairly gratuitous imagery that this show has shown over three seasons. Somewhat more muted uh, in the third season. We didn't have a scene on the level of... uh, Season two. uh, Well, the the Montgomery rape of season two being, uh, I think, I mean, if you you want to say that, that... Bryce's uh, actions against Hannah or Jessica in the first are. Uh, I think. Well, I think when people think season one, they think the Hannah suicide scene as the most right. controversial. That's more controversial than. Bryce well, it was and- yeah. So that was edited, and then uh, my God, I, I have a lot of problems with season two. This is a review of season three, obviously, but uh, season two 
really bothered me on on both the pacing end, but when uh, from a pacing front, but when we got to the end and the that Montgomery scene, I I, I saw that as as really kind of a, a way for the show to try and top itself in in a lot of ways, and mm-hmm. I because there's no build up to it, it comes right out of nowhere. It really feels a little, yeah. Well, and the way that Montgomery had had, uh, you know, been kind of outed as the uh, person who was going around making the threats and stuff to see to see him not kind of uh, get his due in the second season. But, you know, he gets exposed, he runs away. And then to have him involved with that with Tyler, it, it almost seemed like the show was using that as a means to an end. And the 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 build up to to Tyler's breakdown uh and uh potentially uh, his foiled uh mass shooting attempt it it felt like i i, I just I, I can describe what it felt like the, the the what it boils down to is it it there was no build up it was gratuitous it was unnecessary and uh, immensely painful to watch and if you're somebody who just totally wanted to write the show off after that moment I don't blame you. And if you wanted to write it off well before it, season two was pretty much a dumpster fire. Uh, I, I, I can't defend. I never actually reviewed the second season, but I hated it. You know, I remember watching when season two came out, I stayed up through the night to watch the whole thing. And I remember it, the episode, the, I got to the last episode and it got taken down and then got put back up with its trigger warning in there. <laughs> And I didn't realize that was what had happened until after it. I'm just like, wait, what happened? Is my Netflix down or no? So it's, uh, there's that weird, I don't know if it's a self-awareness or if it was just, uh, they're trying to cover their own ass. Actions like that. And then to segue into season three, also the beginning where we have the group before anyone really knows what the hell happened with, uh, Tyler, The idea that their response is to make this... There's a point in dealing with Tyler, and actually it's it's maybe best represented with the scene with Clay, Tyler, and Tyler's parents, where they say, oh, you guys have been such great friends to Tyler and all of that. Uh, there's a line between, you know, really trying to to work with a guy like Tyler who's been through a lot, who... I, I, I think kind of somewhere somewhere in between somewhere somewhere lost in this show is the idea that, that Tyler did materially benefit from friendship. Human companion human companionship did him good. But mm-hmm. uh that's all set against the idea that you have Clay making Excel spreadsheets to try and play <laughs> Superman. He's got like this total god complex. And that is not it's 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 irresponsible, sure, but it's also just really bad television. It's I'm not going to refute either of those statements, but I will say that it is consistent with how teen shows are written because a lot of teen shows, the idea is the teenagers are the ones who are supposed to be solving all the problems for themselves. Like in all teen shows, the adults are useless, the adults can't be trusted. It's the teenagers who have to fix the problem or get out of these situations. And it's how you end up with all these outrageous storylines from 90210 to, oh God, what are they? What's a uh, Riverdale? That's, that's the one the kids watch today. 
Uh, you see them, you see these teenagers in situations are just like, you're thinking to yourself, at no point did anyone think to call the police or tell their parents. And the show will just say, no, no, we can't tell the police about this because, you know, we'll all go down or something like this, despite the fact that none of you have, I mean, at this point, none of you are really in too steep of danger, but by not going to the police, you're just going to make things worse, which, which they kind of do, but, you know, drama. Well, in this show, they uh, did drive away with Tyler. They disposed of the guns. But you bring up, I, I'm glad that you mentioned the whole notion of what other teen shows would do. Because I think lost in a lot of this is the idea that 13 Reasons Why is a teen show. Mm-hmm. It is built from the same lineage as Beverly Hills 90210, as Dawson's Creek, as The O.C., as Gossip Girl. It Let's not forget Degrassi. Degrassi, sure. It, it, it's cut from that same cloth, and that is important because there, this show attracts a lot of controversy. Some of that's born from the fact that it's one of Netflix's uh, top shows that is talked about, at least. Netflix doesn't release writing, so uh, they're not... We can one. assume it's a high earner for them. Well... Even the whole notion of earning is also uh, complicated for Netflix oh, because it's a subscription-based service. But uh, you know, their most uh, their their two most watched shows are actually really Friends in the Office, which are it reruns. But as far as Netflix originals go, it's popular. You can look back to the first episode of Dawson's Creek where they're talking about where Joey and Dawson are talking about masturbation, and then Joey's going to sleep over in the boys' room. That was really really, really controversial back in 1998. Or in 2003, when Degrassi had an episode where one of their main characters got an abortion and it was a two-parter that was like, is this right? Is this wrong? And it, uh, but, and that episode actually ended up not getting shown in America for years. It wasn't until like five years after that uh, they were like, okay, yeah, we can, show this character getting an abortion. Yeah, so I mean, what we're... What we're the, the controversy now feels feels really big, and part of that is the fact there's so many shows out there, the idea that this is still a, a major subject of controversy, that's noteworthy. And it, it, it's a testament to the, the significance of the show. That said, at the end of the day... This stuff is is seen in context. Uh, Twenty years from now, there will be a show that does stuff worse than this, and uh, two people sitting in a room podcasting will say, "Well, you know, back in 2019, when they they actually <laughs> went back and they took the they edited the first uh, season of Thirteen Reasons Why." So we do have to understand that, and. This show is irresponsible. I said it in my review. Uh, Colin, I don't think is uh, would would disagree either. This is this show is is irresponsible. Yeah, that's pretty hard to refute. Uh, as an as entertaining as it is, or as like well written as well acted as it is, it's like every season, every episode starts with the "If you need help, please go to Thirteen Reasons Why" slash resources, and it's trying to make it seem as though. Yeah, you know, we're trying to say something here. We're trying to really connect with people here, but then you have then you have the then you have the Montgomery Tyler uh, 
interaction. It's really like that's I know it's rape. It's just really hard for me to like think about that scene because it was just like you're watching it and everything's going great and Tyler's happy and everything. And then that happens. So, but it is like, you can see as it goes from season one to season two to season three, you can see that it has, it's at least aware of itself. Like in season two, the school has after, you know, season two, the trial is going on after Hannah's suicide. The school has taken a policy of not talking about Hannah, about not talking about everything that's happened because they don't want to encounter any uh, copycats. any copycats, which is well, all the controversy that was from season one. And at least to me, that was a meta reference to the show's controversy. And there's a couple others spread throughout the season. And season two does point out and call out that Hannah... When she was alive, she was not a saint, but also that what she did by making those tapes, it was an evil, cruel thing to have done to these people. And, you know, that's the end of her. And that's, it's not obvious. That's not perfect. That's not, I would hardly even say that's good, but at least to me, it shows that the show is aware of itself. The show is not going to say, well, you know, we're right and the rest of y'all are wrong. I think that's interesting also. So one thing that season one really suggested early on and then, and then didn't refute, uh, didn't really follow up with later in the season was the idea that Hannah was an unreliable narrator. Uh, Jessica refuted some of the ways that she described uh, the end of their friendship. Mm-hmm. We didn't see a heck of a lot of that later, but then in season two, some people found the idea that, Hannah herself had been a, a bully of um, someone from her old school. All right. So the, there was a girl named Sarah who had been bullied at her previous school. A lot of that stuff just, and, and yeah, I guess the, the whole Zach romance is probably the, the one thing that I really, really the fuck out of nowhere. Yeah. Well also for that reason, but just, just the idea that that seemed a little odd to have not come up on the tapes, even though uh, if you're somebody who read the books, it was uh, met, well, the book also just for how few characters appeared uh, had the uh, advantage of, of depicting people in a way that the audience would be fairly vague about. Whereas if you're watching the show, the people who are talked about on the tapes, even though they're not necessarily named at points, uh, the audience is constantly aware of what's going on. But I feel like for season two, the one, the one big problem that they had to rectify in season three, and this is where the, uh, ever problematic uh, Ani comes into the factor is that Clay has always been, he he's really the hero of the, of, of the show, but he's only the co-lead and Hannah isn't, I mean, Hannah, honest, like, like, in terms of a force of opposition to what Clay wants, uh, Hannah is some, 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 sometimes really his antagonist or just the antagonist in general because even from an audience perspective, really wanting her to uh, not, not do what we all know is happening. But season two didn't know what to do with the fact they didn't have tapes and they had ghost Hannah and that was terrible. And season three, but 
the mistake of season two was the fact that it really should have segued from being Clay and Hannah's narrative to Clay's narrative because Hannah's gone. And that was the lesson the show it took a little while to learn. We can forgive that. It's actually really not dissimilar from when Homeland had to divorce itself from Brody. Uh, Damien Lewis wins an Emmy. His character really doesn't belong anymore. And it took them an extra season to learn that because Showtime didn't want to get rid of him. I can see why uh, they wanted to keep Hannah Baker around. Catherine Langford's great, but he need, that needed to end. And this show in season three is, is still really Clay's show, but now he's got his group. He's got his little super friends uh, who certainly weren't his friend in the beginning, but uh, a little uh, cul-de-sac was formed in season two. And to, to season three's credit, they got rid of some of the characters who really didn't need to be there anymore. No more Marcus, uh, Ryan Schaefer. We certainly love you, but, uh, probably wasn't really needed. Uh, Sherry. Courtney's the only one who got something resembling a, a send off. Yeah. And Courtney also, uh, I mean, I think season two, uh, helped flesh out her character a bit, but I, I, I certainly didn't really miss her. But season three, the dynamic had to figure out, okay, this show really only wants to have Clay as one half of its lead. This is a sh- and, and, and they didn't want to take somebody like Jessica, who probably, if we just remove Ani from the equation entirely, if we don't give that much of the, the narrative to a new character, if we're just looking for somebody to fill Hannah's spot, the smart thing to do would have been to give Jessica really co-lead status with Clay. And, and actually as a, from a survivor's perspective, something that uh, people have criticized season three of not being enough about the survivors being too much about Bryce. I think that would have been the smart move. Instead, they find a British girl who finds herself in the like biggest coincidence of all time, living at Bryce's house and becoming (laughs) best friends with Clay. I mean, come on. Like, uh, so when I started watching season three, uh, Ani opens up with her narration. I'm like, oh, okay, there's a new character. And so what I'm thinking is, uh, that they're going to do the one character, one perspective style of writing. So I just figured by episode two, uh, we'd have a new narrator, but nope, Ani's back narrating season two. And that's, that's, uh, she's narrating episode two. And I'm, the first thing I'm thinking to myself is, who is this and why is she the one telling this story? And boy, howdy does the season take a long time trying to figure out why. I mean, the season doesn't really figure out why Ani is the narrator, why she's the one who is in charge of pushing the story forward. Um, no, and, and they, they, they miss, a, especially as they get to the, the end where, Alex's father starts to realize that his son is, and and if you watch his expressions in his talk with Ani, I I, I had figured out, out that Alex had killed Bryce well before it was revealed because, and I guess well before I mean like an episode or two, because of the the structure of the narration 
which just sounded so over the top and overly dramatic. Shout out to Sheriff Standall. He's the real MVP of the season for putting up with listening to her entire spiel about this. Like at no point did he think to cut her off or even try to, he just listened to this whole thing. And I'm just like, how did you, how did you not get bored at some point? Which was really frustrating for me because if you remember when Alex gets in trouble for fighting Monty in season one, his dad talks to him about how uh, Alex isn't really super forthcoming with how the fight started, but he says, they said that you were defending somebody else. Good for you. That whole situation could have been really translated into the Bryce situation and maybe it wouldn't be super perfect because uh, you get the sense that maybe Alex was uh, letting Bryce drown out of, I mean, a really ha- uh, is limited of what they really could have done anyway, but Alex probably uh, you get the sense that he's looking out more for Jessica than the, the Colma- than the sum of all of Bryce's victims. But Ani's narration, this, this show has a fascination with plot devices. So we have the tapes, Okay, those make sense. Then season two kind of had the Polaroids, but they didn't show up nearly as frequently. Well, the 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 season two real plot device was who was testifying on each day. Oh, that's right. And not to dwell too much on season two, but it was a tremendous mistake to drag that trial out because everybody knew what the hell was going to happen. It was stupid. Season one wasn't building to a trial. The trial was there. Uh I, I think if you did end season one, uh, I was one of the few people who really was thought that a season two was warranted, but just from the perspective of uh, they introduced so many of these great characters, there was a lot that they could do with these people. I just think that a 13 episode court trial of a thing where the school is the whole point of the tapes was it wasn't really the school that did this. The school wasn't really at fault. These individuals were at fault and Kevin Porter is really the only one who who's the direct link to the school and to, to to, the trial wasn't even built for his kind of redemption. Uh, he kind of got that on his own. He also didn't need to come back. No, neither did Olivia Baker. I mean, I like, I like both of the, I like like both Kate Walsh and Derek Luke. They're both fantastic actors and it was fun to see them back, but Uh, bringing back, uh, like bringing back Derek Luke was kind of pointless. I will, I'll admit that, but I do think that bringing back Kate Walsh was a nice, but it was really just more for the advancement of Bryce's character, which Ooh. now that it, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> are we there yet? Is that, are we at that point? Yeah. Um, well, I just, just to finish the point on plot devices, cause if, I mean, the problem with podcasts is you like try to make a three point thing and you follow <laughs> the rabbit hole of the first point and then you never come back. Yeah. Um, the third season decided to kind of it's it's big plot device were the suspects and it's not it's not totally perfect. Like the episode where. Uh, uh, I, I forget the actor's name, but the Bryce's dad, uh, he when he comes back, he's not really the subject of that episode. The suspect is not always the the subject. It's not perfect, but 
this, this show has a lot of assets from its cast. And if you're listening to this to try to figure out why I gave this a positive review, probably listening to all my critiques and saying, uh, gee, maybe she should have given it uh, a worse review, but this is critical stuff that's important. This cast is absolutely phenomenal. Oh. The brilliant, like one of the, some of the most brilliant young actors, Devin Druid, who plays Tyler. Uh, holy crap! I'm like the scene where he is uh, confessing to Clay what Monty did to him the year before was so good. He gets all these subtleties that you didn't know were there until he showed them to you. And I remember thinking to myself, this is so good, but it is going to be so impossible to make an Emmy clip out of. Um, but all it, of was, these, it was phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. And Alicia Bow, who plays Jessica, yep. like you were saying earlier that she could have been the co-lead, but she shows this season she does have the chops to carry this show by herself. You could have made the entire third season. Oh, yeah. About, yeah, that's definitely true. About uh, Hands Off. Oh, and then they bring in... Uh, Bex Taylor Klaus, an actor that I really love from their time on uh, Voltron. And it's real, they have a really distinctive voice. So it's like, so every time I hear them speaking, I'm just like, hey, it's Bitch from Voltron. But they, again, like, I love how much energy they bring to the character that they're playing of uh, this militant survivor who uh, is so. Like she's been hurt so badly, she has she's working through so much trauma. It's because of that trauma that she is. Is she? Does her character identify? I'm gonna go with she because that's all I can think. Uh, of. It's definitely not clear that. Uh... Okay, so the character's uh, trauma is has poisoned them so much that they are incapable of that. They lead a protest at Bryce's funeral, despite like right after Bryce's mother gave this really heart wrenching, uh, story of her interactions with her son. And this character played by Bex to class, whose name I forget, uh, is still carries out the protest still like, uh, opens with, uh, all the things that he did, even though, you know, but yeah, again, all of these actors, they are so talented, so good. And you know that this show would not have stuck the landing as well as it did or would have been embroiled in more controversy if these char- if these actors weren't so good at making these characters real. And the actors are really why a season two is warranted. They're really good. And the writing... I, I The show won me over really early on. If you know anything about me... Uh, if you're a listener of the show, I, I love 80s music. I love <laughs> 80s aesthetics. Uh, the show nailed that. The gray color scheme maybe looked sometimes a little bit too much like uh, some other Netflix shows, like Mindhunter, that kind of stuff. Uh, but it was great. This, this show is aesthetically beautiful. The world building of Liberty High, especially in the first season with their feelings class and uh, the teacher, uh, I really loved how, and this show, I I guess, premiered uh, right around the same time as Riverdale. And I thought they were really good at approaching high school, not not really going for realism at all. 13 Reasons Why doesn't really take place in 2019 America. It takes place in 
basically like a sort of parallel reality. Like a sort of timeless, this can happen anywhere, USA type of... I don't even think it could happen. I, I, I think that these kids who really don't spend a lot of time on their phones. Uh, they care for each other. They, uh, Clay went from his one man wrecking army. You could almost look at season one as, uh, his, uh, Iron Man. And then season two, he's assembled some of the other Avengers and they're all cause his crusade. I mean, you, you just think back to, uh, Clay going after Tyler and then keying Zach's car. And they had to take his bike away to try and get him to stop screwing at their life. Oh my gosh. And then, and then uh, season three is his infinity war. Cause you're bringing back a bunch of people who uh, you didn't think would fit into the plot, but lo and behold, here they are, whether you want them or not. Yeah. And I mean, the situation with Clay's family and Justin being adopted with them in a lot of ways, seems like a marriage of convenience, but this is how, it's cute. how television works. Think of, Think of how many residents uh, were moving in and out of the Camdens in the later years of Seventh Heaven. Oh, my God. Total, total convenience. This is how TV works. And 13 Reasons Why nails the aesthetics. The acting is great. The show, I, I would love if the show could understand how little it needs to actually rely on gimmicks. It, do, it didn't need a different person testifying every year last year. And we didn't need a murder suspect or a new narrator. We didn't need those things because the show has a lot of really great parts. And you know, that's what they're going to do for season four, right? Like I'm calling it, no, right. It's going to be a device. That's going to be, I, I hope I'm wrong. But. I'm calling that come season four. Monty is going to be the ghost the same way that Hannah and Bryce were in seasons Uh. two and three. Um, And we're going to find out about his backstory and we're going to see his relationship with Winston, which, uh, uh, (laughs) um, Colin Colin and I do not really see eye to eye on, uh, on the Winston Monty thing. Um, (laughs) that, uh, so, uh, I sarcastically, sarcasm with a grain of truth uh, brought up how uh, the Monty Winston scenes were pivotal moments of the gay rights movement because Winston bottomed for Monty on a teen show, which I was joking that like, cause you know, obviously Monty has been nothing but this repugnant, irredeemable character for the past three years. And then we give him this humanizing closet case story, which I mean, is you can like if you're joking with yourself, you can be like part of me when in season one I was thinking, oh yeah, no, he's totally gay, but that was sort of a joke to myself. And then season three, yeah, oh, he's in the closet. But I will say this um, again: it showed a guy, bo- a teen show showed a guy bottoming for another guy. That's something that I've never seen on any other teen show before. Uh, so, but no, there's a. I, I, that's just me calling what's going to happen in season four is that Monty is going to be the ghost. We're going to find out about him and there will find some gimmick to keep it going because like you said, that's what they do, but I, I could be wrong. I'd, I'd be happy to be wrong. Um, 
Sorry, Timothy Granaderos. I'm sure you're you're a very talented actor, but for fuck's sake, you play an awful character. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of I I I guess I feel bad for Winston in his first appearance, but by the end of it. We're really past the at least we should be past the storyline that so many gay characters get of a guy in the closet beats the shit out of this guy and then they have great sex. But then he beats them more because he's scared to come out. I'm just like, I, I've known plenty of guys who were so deeply in the closet that were that were awful to me when I was out and they weren't. And I, I did not engage in a relationship with them. Even when I found out they were gay afterwards, I was still like, that doesn't change what you did. You still were an asshole. And I'm, I won't forget what you did. It's like, I for, I can forgive you for your confusion and like, I'm glad that you're out and everything, but why does that happen in every storyline involving? It's ridiculous. Yeah, (sighs) it's ridiculous. There's no doubt about that. And and actually, that's that's a good place to pivot to. Oh, you know, it's a testament to the show's power that part of me kind of likes Bryce. Oh. When I was watching, I felt really uncomfortable by how much I was feeling for Bryce. That's a good thing. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a testament. I, I don't. I, I don't think that. I, 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 Colin just said it apprehensively. I, I certainly am not. Uh, play, I Bryce sucks. Bryce is a piece of shit. Yes. Uh, Bryce. You even saw it in in uh, some of the actions um, in season one, where well, we didn't really know it at the time when you're first watching. Uh, but Bryce isn't involved with the scheming. That's because he doesn't know about it, and they didn't yeah. really cue, cue him in. But uh, he he he's a monster who is uh, a lot of monsters have this trait. Bryce is fairly charming. Yeah, and. He's um like part of the cynical part of me likes to think that because uh, they could have just sent Bryce away to his new school and we wouldn't see him in season three at all. But the cynical part of me want thinks that uh, Justin Prentice, the actor who plays Bryce, is actually a very nice, very personable human being in real life. And so I imagine that, hey, the guy's got to work after this show. So that might be where some of Bryce's sympathetic storyline comes from. But Yeah, I think that's... Uh... But at the same, but it's not like, it doesn't feel that way when you're watching it. Like you do see Bryce, uh, in this beautiful scene where he's in this yoga studio with his mom, you do see the weight of everything that he's done and all the people he's hurt coming down on him. And you do feel for him and you see his awful home life, his very, well, (laughs) just to stay on the yoga studio for a second. Okay. I'm a certified yoga teacher. I've spent. Well, 200 hours alone for, for just, just to get certified in, in a yoga studio, but I've spent a hell of a lot more time than that. E- even if you take the most generous interpretation of how tone deaf Bryce's mother is as to who her son is, mm-hmm. if you're opening up a new studio, there's no way you wouldn't have a like, yoga studio is plenty of people use the term safe space as a joke. Yoga studios are all by definition supposed to be 
those kind of that's just like an unwritten rule that everybody knows. And I'm looking at Bryce in the studio while there's a class going on and there's people mingling out like right outside the class. That's another huge faux pas. If if you have a if you have a setup like that, uh, you don't create a situation where people are just mingling while a class is going on. But you don't have your rapist son come to your your, your studio as an open like I, the, not even the most tone deaf mother would have done that. Just just that's an, that's an aside. But anyway, you were saying uh, you you can you can edit this out. But my ignorance of that didn't occur until just now. I was thinking to myself like, oh shit, you're right. <laughs> but um, it's yeah, it's it's something I I my partner Tara and I were watching. Uh, at the, to have like, this is utterly ridiculous. You do so. We see his, we see his awful home life. We see his relationship with his parents is not good. His relationship with his mother is not great, but it's not as bad as it could be. Which, um, and we do see he makes that tape. Uh, which I have mixed feelings about. Um, not the tape itself, but just why did, like, <laughs> you decided to make a tape despite knowing all of this. You didn't think that was in, but then, but then I remember, no, he's Bryce. He's never been forced to really confront the awful or inappropriate things that he does, so that's within his character. Um, but... And he's uh, the re- so when I'm watching this, I was asking, I was asking a lot of my friends, is there? Uh, I, I even asked you, is there redemption for Bryce Walker? And you said no, but he's not. It's something that doesn't paint him as he has good in him. He had the potential for good, but he it doesn't undo what he did. He's still beyond redemption, which right. That's okay, fair, and. When you ask, but when I ask that question, obviously, what comes? I come. Uh, I think of the. I think of the Brock Turners. I think of the Brett Kavanaughs. I think of the men who have abused, terrorized, and assaulted women. And obviously, they are in positions of privilege where they don't have to examine their actions. They've never had to say sorry, and they will never have that Bryce Walker moment of feeling sorry for what they did. But I was asking myself, but what if they did? Uh, where do we go from there? How do we treat them? Is it there? Are they just like, is there, uh, is there redemption having to wear the red R on the, on their chest for the rest of their life? And you said that, yes, that is, that's the, but that's all they can do. And that's all they'll well, get, which that, is so that, yeah, that's something that the me too movement is currently grappling with as some of the celebrities who were, uh, brought down in phase one of the me too cinematic universe was um, some of them are coming back and that it's not, I, for example, I didn't care for Aziz and sorry special. Plenty of people did. Um, but he's a good example, especially no matter how you feel over the, the babe.net situation, there's certainly a lot of uh, perfectly valid positions to take. I personally tend to, take the position that uh, this is a guy who was trading on what a woke feminist he was and then ended up doing a lot of stuff that totally run contradicted that just as an aside. There is going to be 
redemptive uh, considerations given to the Brock Turners of the in a in a broad sense, not not him specifically, mm-hmm. into the the Bryce Walkers of the world. People like that are going to re-enter society. That's that that idea exists independent of whether any of us want it to or not. I, I right. plenty of us don't want. I don't want it to. However, when it comes to a scripted fictional show. And this is this is the problem with the way they handled the Bryce Walker situation. They gave, you know, I, we talked about using Jessica maybe as a stand-in for uh, Hannah's time on the show. In a lot of ways, Bryce was used as a stand-in alongside uh, Ani, but that's time that, and I know Ani took up a lot of time that could have gone to. You know, Alex's plotline wasn't really that well developed this year. Zach certainly wasn't. He was busy with Shazam. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, oh, he wasn't it for very much. But um, <laughs> with with Bryce, and and this actually this follows the real world or or the show. If you're gonna give. Bryce Walker another chance or if you're going to feature Bryce Walker for a lot of uh, the time in your show uh, that's a chance especially in the real world that's a chance that somebody else who isn't a rapist isn't going to get and privilege comes in uh, but also just the we have 13 hours of television to tell are we going to spend a lot of time and I, I know that a lot of us, myself included, were uncomfortable, especially with how much they leaned into the idea that Bryce was constantly trying to apologize to Jessica, to Mrs. Baker, all of that. That's horrifying. That made me very uncomfortable when he's talking to Olivia Baker. That's ridiculous. And... Whether he can be redeemed or not doesn't really take away from the fact that, okay, you can, you can have your redemption, maybe do it off screen. We don't have to see it. Yeah. Well, with the Olivia, with the Olivia Baker scene, uh, where she says, I hope you spend the rest of your life trying to figure out what sorry means. Uh, and I, I've been thinking about that scene and it's very much, it very much shows that just how ignorant he is of what he's done because he's, you know, he's, he's rich, he's white, he's straight. He's lived in a world. He's all of his behavior goes unexamined and he's lived in a world where he's never had to apologize for the things that he's done. Um, But he's not unaware that apologies exist. So, and well, that's also we, going back to the uh, when ta- uh, Clay was able to get the tape from him in the first place. He, he, regardless of remorse, acknowledged that w- what he had done to Hannah was right. Yeah, and he take this with a grain of salt. He is a child in the show, so he's probably still like, even though he's done all these things, he's still naive enough to think that drink straight whiskey. Who drinks? Uh, yes, he's a, he's a seventeen year old alcoholic. They do exist, uh, but he is also young enough to think that if he apologizes, then things can then healing can begin. He doesn't know that that's 
not how that works. He's he's never had to apologize for something like this before. And just on the realism of the whiskey, when I was 21, or yeah, I would have been 21 at the time, uh, a senior in college, when I would sit at a party drinking Jameson with an ice cube in it, which is like, people would think I was nuts. And Jameson is probably one of the better tasting whiskeys for a, for a 18 year old. And that's actually, that's another problem with 13 reasons why is, uh, not only is clay acting like an adult, but then you have, you have Tony who you just look and say, well, how old do we expect this guy? He's got his, he's this guardian angel who's supposed to be 18, who is, in a like committed, stable relationship with a, a guy, a guy who owns a gym. You want to know what the reality breaker for me was way back in season one? It's how every single one of these characters has tattoos and not just like a cute little uh, rinky-dink star on the wrist. No, no, no. Uh, Justin has this full uh, chest tattoo that's got all these intricate designs on it. It's like... I think he has a sleeve too. And I'm like, where are these? And it's not like these are tattoos that the actors have that they just decided not to cover up. It's like, no, these things are put on the actors uh, and they're character motivated. Where are these teenagers getting, first, where are they getting the money for these tattoos? Second, why are their parents letting them get this intricate ink work? Well, Justin has a, how did he get his parents sign off on that? That's actually, actually, that's not the weird question. It's uh, how did he get the money for that expensive? See, I, I buy that his parents were just he signed stole whatever it from, uh, when he lived in the Bryce's pool house. Did that did that really happen? Or I doubt it. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but that's just that's a that's a tangent. Um, where were we? It was a. Uh... Well, I think the problem with Bryce is. A show that, if the show wanted to do, well, I think in a lot of ways also with Bryce's character, they kind of backed themselves into a corner with, with killing him. They they almost had to, because how, like, how else is a guy like this supposed to have some sort of palatable redemption? And it's got to be, you got to make him, you got to do something to make him sympathetic. Uh, they already made Monty gay, so they couldn't really do that with Bryce. So they have, uh, they have him, they have him be murdered. And then that actually, that, that kills two birds with one stone because then the mystery of who killed him gets to be the plot for the season. Mm, I feel the gimmick emerges. Yeah. So basically we have, uh, Bryce's death allowing us to, to look at him as with, with some degree of redemption. And then we also have, uh, his death giving us something to do. And I, I just, I don't think we needed Bryce to that extent. I think Bryce, uh, a lot of us were, were sick of Bryce after the second season. Uh, Could have put him on a bus, but like I said earlier, Justin Prentice needs to work after this show. Well, I also liked how he was not liked at his new school because he was a rapist. That, is, that's, that was a nice touch. Um, it was also very unrealistic that Ani... Putting aside the fact that she lived with him, putting aside the fact that, yeah, he is kind of a charming guy. You would be able to Google Bryce Walker and and read about the news of this rapist. They really, they had her kind of walking the line between the good guys and Bryce, and she had sex with him repeatedly. That that That's a kind of a... 
So that's kind of ridiculous. Uh, Ani is also ridiculous. Yeah, she's like what? I really can't think of why she gets in. I, I rewatched. Uh, I watched reviews and I've gone back to look at season three and I really can't figure out why she ingratiates herself into the Baker's dozen the way she does. Or why this um, show needs a narrator. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I'm all for, I'm all for supporting black women and I'm glad that she's getting work, but uh, <laughs> now you've entered into the territory of a strong black woman who feels that she needs to solve all the cast problems, which, you know, is by no means intentional, but you know, it's there now. Uh, and then there's the dickish move of sleeping with her friend's rapist, knowing, uh, the, knowing the relationship that they do have, which like, why does she need to heal Bryce? Why does she need to... Um, why does Bryce need to be healed? There we go. Yeah, that's... Yeah. I, I, and I'm honestly... I can't figure out if there was a better way to introduce Amadawat into the show or if her presence is completely unnecessary. I'm still trying to figure that out. Well, so we have a show with four seasons. They are not, this isn't skins. This isn't that we're not getting gen two of, of 13 reasons why it's not going on for 10 seasons. They don't need to phase out the originals. This is a show that really should tell four seasons of storytelling of the core. They slim down the, the original cast by a bit. They should have, stuck to it this is a good cast this this cast didn't really get enough time to show tyler got his moments justin got a uh, a couple uh jessica got a lot her fair share i i guess maybe without sherry without courtney two characters who really didn't need to continue. The show was kind of desperate for another, well, especially without Hannah, the show did need another female character and they didn't want Chloe to be. I mean, the show, it showed it can work with, by economizing its cast. It showed that it can work without Hannah. Um, so, I'm trying to think, would it have been cheap if, and you brought up, you brought up skins. And I remember thinking at the end of season two, wouldn't it be interesting if after season two, season three focused on, because we always hear like we were in season two, they've mentioned copycats. So why not for season three, why not introduce a new group of kids? Someone had heard about Hannah Baker's story and decided to imitate or do their own uh, list of tapes in a similar way, or we could just see the far-reaching ramifications of what she did. Or, and maybe you could have introduced Ani that way, but then you'd lose the original cast. I don't know how that... Yeah, I don't think retreading back to the tapes. And actually, not only did the show prove that it could go on with Hannah... It also proved that Hannah wasn't going to be a lingering force of the show, which 
really didn't mention her a heck of a lot. No, and it would have been cheap if they had even brought, like, even if they brought her back for a flashback scene, uh, I think that would have been cheap. Well, they even, like, Ani was shown to not know a heck of a lot about the tapes, and they even say that, and yet there wasn't a moment where they sat her down and listened to them. Bryce did get that moment. They, they, they walked that line really well. The problem is they let season three prove they let Hannah go. What they should have done is let Bryce go also. Yeah. Like I said, he could have just got on a bus to his new school and gone on from there. Cause you mentioned uh, when we were talking about this at an earlier point that either season two or three should have focused on the healing process. So would that have been like more time with hands off uh, and seeing how, cause there's that, there's a lot of story potential there that we really only scraped. We only got, a, would say about 25% of the story potential that hands off could have provided uh, with its, with its protests or with how we, how, uh, this movement straddles the line between like, where is the line between uh, just chaos or destruction and using your pain as justification for it, or actually trying to change the school's very, very deep rape culture. So if I had redone season two, I would have had the trial go basically less than half of the first season, uh, 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 less than half of the second season, and then spent the rest of that time not only building towards something more substantive in season three, but also giving a lot of individual healing. They could probably do the hands-off still in the third season and have their murder mystery or, or, or whatnot, but... They were treading water through most of, of season two because of the stupid trial. And I guess I would have liked more time in season three because they didn't really, they end season two with, with running away from a, uh, from, from foiling a mass shooting and really a, a powerful cliffhanger, maybe a bit of an eye roll, but Certainly in, in terms of what's going to happen next, definitely leaving you wondering. And Some, something that I do like from the trial for season two, though, is at the... I forget if it's at the end of the trial or at the end of the season. There's this scene where um, you have all these char- all these uh, female characters throughout the season. So you have Olivia Baker, you have Jessica, you have um, Clay's mom, I think, where they're looking right at the camera... And they're talking about the first time that they were sexually assaulted or sexualized. And they're telling the story. And what's really interesting about it is that the way that it's shot is that you can't really tell if it's the actor breaking the fourth wall or if it's the act- if it's the character they're playing and it's just, and it was scripted. But I really liked that moment. I thought that was really powerful, but yeah. There's something about this show that just, Really works as a as a I, I I think it's it is one of the all time great teen shows and I think it it works I think it crawls into that uh, accolade by by token of 
how how unique it is and the aesthetics that it it runs and the strength of its lead performances and the fact that we can have these it's a real pinnacle of the television from this era that we have these morally great characters that we're rooting for that we're rooting against or that we can have these lengthy conversations about especially for a teen show because up until very recently, even the like Degrassi was on for about twenty years, but even then, it's Isn't it still on. No, it uh, it sadly it just it got canceled, and there, they didn't even get a proper finale. Oh, but that's right. It was on for twenty years, and it'll be back. It probably, <laughs> of course, it's it started in the seventies. Of course, it's going to be back. Oh, yeah, that's why I was like, wait, it's gone. Um, but still, those characters or the characters from Nine Hundred Two One Zero or Dawson's Creek, they're still very one note or often the issues that they would talk about come off as morality plays where uh, we find out where we're presented with a real teen situation and the real teen goes through this situation, but then the problem is solved. Um, But it's great to see that 13 Reasons Why would put these characters in the same very murky gray area that you would see Don Draper in, that you would see Walter White in. And that's really, I think that's a really, that's a real solid mark for not only how uh, these shows are written, but also how they view the audiences that will be consuming them. They're trusting that the kids watching them can handle these very complex, complicated characters and talk about them or analyze them. Yeah. It's a show that, that, one thing that Dawson's did, uh, especially in its later years, would be it would just constantly mention the idea of not being an ABC after-school special, which uh, really set the gold gold standard by which uh, a lot of the morality stuff that Colin was describing that a lot of these other shows aspired to. Uh, that's kind of where they all get it from, and really as a, as a genre, uh, teen dramas, uh, kind of exist all in relation to the after school special and, and how to deal with it. And, and 13 reasons why subverted that really well. And when I look at it, it's irresponsible television. Don't get me wrong. Mm. If you're having, uh, when the first season, when the first season came out, I, I was really early in my transition and at points wasn't sure if with my gender dysphoria, uh, mental health issues, just knowing how, how sensitive I was to depression, all of that. And, uh, you know, the dark roads that dysphoria can lead you toward. I, I wasn't sure if it was for me. And I found myself very moved by it. And that doesn't negate the problematic parts. That doesn't negate the points that are frustrating. The show frustrates a lot. If you read my review, it's it's a it's really what I would call really more of a center positive review. I, I I'm I'm critical a lot of it, and I've been critical a lot in in this podcast. But at the end of the day, this this show does have a have a really strong grasp on emotion, yeah, and how to deploy it. When the show premiered, I had just been diagnosed with clinical depression and I had also come off of a, not 
too long earlier, I had come off of a suicide attempt. And even before that, when I was in high school, I used to self-harm. And what, so when I was watching it, it was, there was some stuff that was unsettling that was triggering, but it wasn't, uh, for me, it wasn't offensive to see it. It was, oh, someone else, or at least I could relate that someone else felt this way. Like, um, there's this one scene in season one where Hannah has to drop her, a parents, uh, the money for her parents' store off to the bank in a, in a, <laughs> and she leaves it on the roof of her. She leaves it on the roof of her car, and she gets a text from someone, and she gets in the car and drives off, and the money gets lost. And I've had, I've done so many. Like I'm a ditz. I've done so many boneheaded things like that, and these things really do have like boneheaded things that do have real heavy consequences, and it can be those little things. <laughs> or making those little mistakes uh, that can roll into big ones that can really just bring you down and really just put you in a really dark place. Because I've thought to myself, you're so fucking stupid, or how could you do something like that? Or literally no one else would do that. But to see that she was in that same spot, it was something that I could relate to. And I could see that, I, I could see that, uh, mistakes do get made and they don't have to you don't they don't have to define you or they don't have to carry on um i still make mistakes like that and it still hurts but i know that i i'm not the only person who does and that everyone has something like that on their record no matter how big or how small and that show i mean obviously not every person is going to there's still issues i do have with the show um but, and you're under no, no one is under any obligation to relate to the show in that way or in any way. But I think that a lot of the show's irresponsibility might come from one, from its desire to be edgy, but two, might come from growing pains because, uh, where exactly, like, what exactly can you show in relation to teenagers? How exactly can you deal with it? And, like the show yourself, can you make mistakes and learn from them and go and grow from them? I guess. This show is a polarizing show. It's it's why oh, my yeah. inbox is flooded with bizarre <laughs> messages or or people. It, it's if you're somebody who just messages people who write articles, it helps if you've. If you haven't watched the material that you're critiquing their review of, just don't even say that. <laughs> Cause it's just like well, at that point you're just you just want to sound cool. You want to sound edgy. I, I, I have people who who come into my inbox uh, uh upset about it who didn't watch season three. And it's you wanna respect people who are taking the time to message you, but if they didn't take the time to watch the show you reviewed. I, I, I don't, I, I even said like, look, I really don't know what to say. You, you're projecting, there's, there's, there has to be some degree of projection going into the decision to message me. If you literally don't know what I'm, what I'm talking about, let alone just this show evokes a lot of reactions and it's a troubling show for a lot of people. 
And narratively, it's not a perfect show. As we see Monty killed off screen, what the hell's up with that? Uh, I don't even know if I want to even go into it. This show is, is a whirlwind. But at the end of the day, it's fascinating television that has amazing uh, production values and a, a great cast. Is that, is it wrong that we enjoy that? I don't think so. Oh, you know, there's a, um, there's a show on CNN uh, where every, ep- there's, they have multiple seasons, one for every decade. So you have the sixties, the seventies, the eighties and nineties. And we're coming up on the end of a decade and every, every, the first episode of every one of those seasons is they look at the television of that decade. And I am so, and the, so the one they do on the 2010s is going to come out next year. So I'm really curious to see what these television historians and all their finery have to say about a show like 13 Reasons Why. Because they haven't talked about teen shows too much on these shows. So it's, this is a show where for all its flaws, you will have to talk about it. You're going to have to examine it. You're going to have to see why did people take issue with this show? What was it? Was it how it was written? Was it the themes? Was it the attitudes? This show is contra- is a conversation worthy, most controversial show of the 2010s, but we're talking about it. <laughs> and you know, and who knows? Someone might see it and decide, you know what? I'm going to do 13 Reasons Why, but better. It could be get bigger. usurped as most controversial show. Well, uh, no, the Confederacy show didn't get made, so. I was literally about to say that. Oh so. my gosh, are, are we best friends now? <laughs> I, I I was, I I think from the last I read about it, it I I have a hard time believing they'll actually make it. But uh, last time I did check on it, it hadn't been stopped. But uh, shows do have a way of of uh, that 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 can happen. There was one one show I keep looking up on. It was never officially canceled, but um, there was going to be an uh, an Indian version of Game of Thrones with the all Indian cast and like a remake, same characters and everything, just Indian actors, or was it like a fantasy series based in? Well, it was it was going to be based off of the books, and I think the only difference was it it wasn't going to be as stark centric in the beginning, it was going to be more Daenerys, but, uh, it, it was announced years and years and years ago. And there's nothing safe to say it won't be made, but not, not to get off topic. 13 reasons why is, is controversial and it's not going to be for everybody. And even for the people who don't get uneasy about watching it, Yo. there are uh, plenty of you out there who can, uh, take these issues with the quality, uh, with with some of the narrative directions, and say, "Okay, I think this sucks." If you're one of those people, uh, I, I I'm not I'm not I, when I read a review, I'm not trying to convince people what to think. I'm presenting what I thought about it, ostensibly, really for the purpose of people who are deciding whether they want to watch something. Uh, whether they should watch it or not. And that's kind of, you know, the whole point of reviewing is to say what you like about it or dislike so that the person who's reading it can read your thoughts and make a decision of whether they're going to go and see it 
or after they've seen it to may, may, maybe try and help make sense of, of their thoughts. I, although apparently it's also something a review exists so that people who haven't seen it can send you messages afterward. Uh, it, it deserves to be examined from fairly, not just cause there's a lot of negative reviews about the show. Um, but no worries. No worries. Um, it deserves to be examined fairly. Yeah, and and it. I think if if you're gonna approach Thirteen Reasons Why of of this is bad because it's dangerous, that's a can of worms that 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 people grapple with with media, and I. I, there have been there have been transgender narratives that I have personally called dangerous and presented a case for why. So uh, that not to say okay, this thing is is dangerous, and that thing that other people think is dangerous. Oh, that's not dangerous. These are individual decisions that we make when we come up to uh, when we sit down and look at our queue of determining what to watch. There is no perfect answer. I am not the reigning moral authority on good or bad in TV. Nor am I trying to tell you that there is no moral authority. It's an individual thing that, uh, as a collective, we can be pretty good at saying, okay, stuff like the the Monty rape in, in season two, gratuitous. Whether that's to throw the whole show out the show is just so fascinating. It's really, there's so much out there in in TV. I'm constantly amazed when a show finishes a a 10 season, uh, when a show finishes a 10 episode run and then is gone for most of the year. I'm amazed when, uh, how quickly shows like that come back. 13 reasons why really is, is one that still feels like an event when it comes out. Uh, I really liked the season, flawed and all, messy at times, Ani, totally unnecessary, too much on Bryce, but these characters are just so three-dimensional, not even from just a, a great standpoint. They have a lot of depth, period. Mm-hmm. Which, is, which is true from the perspective of uh, they didn't have to be. They could have been kind of what what their book equivalents were, sort of pieces of somebody else's story. No, these these characters got got to have their own stories, and that's beautiful. And with the acting so powerful, uh, it makes sense that this this has continued. Uh ditto. I mean, I agree. It's uh, it's. I, I I do have to justify or I do have to say, oh, I'm excited for 13 Reasons Why. And I deal with uh, people's opinions on that. But see, Colin, Colin uh, even gets that. And Colin <laughs> does not write reviews on his website. I just, uh, huh. but, you know, I, I do love the show. Uh, I binged all three seasons in the span of a day. Uh, which is a nice way of saying I lost. Uh, oh God, it was thirteen times three. Anyway, I lost many. I lost a great span of time on these shows, but you know, I do 
like it. I am invested in these characters. And I like to think that the show is making efforts to grow and expand these characters and their stories. And like I said, they're very three-dimensional. The performances are killer and they're the mystery, the mysteries are legitimately engaging. I have not been able to pick up on how each mystery plays out each season, so I consider that a win. Um, it does. Uh, the rewatchability factor is high on this, and I wouldn't. I didn't. I think I returned to the first season of Thirteen Reasons Why like four or five months after I'd seen it, which is. Just, just for context of somebody like me who is is just constantly watching new things, I, I, I don't have a lot of personal time budgeted for rewatching things that I'd seen literally earlier that year that aren't named Avenger, Avengers: Infinity War, which I've seen probably fifteen or sixteen times, and it came out in twenty eight. 18, yeah. You've only seen it 15 or 16 <laughs> times. But uh, mostly on planes when I was drunk. But uh, <laughs> this is a powerful show. And flawed shows can still get good reviews that are still critical. Yeah. It's, it's not for everyone. Um, but it's, it's, it's definitely it's something special. I think it's something special. It is definitely... It's amazing in this crowded TV landscape when we find shows that that really are unique and stand out. And uh, I mean, we're we're blessed to have so many shows that really do kind of uh, push the needle and and challenge the the status quo. And Thirteen Reasons Why there are there aren't a lot of uh, water cooler sh- shows left in this uh, left in this sort of splinter dynamic, in this splintered landscape. So. Uh, it's 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 something, and usually it's it's more often than not it's something pretty good. I know that I'm going to be watching season four, and I'm going to be sad to see all these characters go. I mean, who are we kidding? There's probably going to be a Netflix reunion special in a year or two, oh, but no. but for the time being, I am I'm excited to see how they bring this all to a close, and I'll miss it. I will too, and. It's hard to look at something like that as 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 fully bad. Uh, besides season two, people say, "Oh, did we need another season of this?" Well, that's also just a complicated. Uh, you know, we didn't need eight seasons of Dexter. We haven't needed you know, twenty seasons of Law and Order SVU. We didn't need twenty. If you want to be super technical, thirty plus seasons of Degrassi. Right. Need need television has no use for the word need. Uh, I mean, not not, not to, as as we wrap up, not to get too technical. I I don't think this season needed thirteen episodes. Uh, no, it needed twenty six. Oh, I definitely didn't need that. Uh, <laughs> but um, it it well, like like from a murder mystery standpoint, like Veronica Mars had the uh, first season, the murder of Lily Kane was a backdrop over the whole first season without constantly being the subject of each episode. It there's a reason we did a podcast episode on that, and with that, I think that's probably a uh, good place to wrap. Unless you have any final thoughts, Colin. 
no, not really. I mean, I'm I'm grateful that you invited me on. I loved talking about it. I love talking about this show, and I'm so glad that we could get together and like talk about our feelings about it. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for coming on. And uh, to you listening, if you uh, check this out to see my thoughts on it because you thought I got my rating wrong, probably still think that because we spent most of the episode harping on it. But <laughs> uh, I, I do love this show in a very weird way. And it's one of those things where I, yeah, I could say, oh, I watched 10 hours of NCIS and nobody would think, oh, why are you so obsessed with crime shows? Uh, I guess some of those those true crime documentary series kind of get that rep- reputation with the the murder buff people. That, I loved the Lorena Bobbitt one. Yeah, the, the murder, which kind of spoofed in the Veronica Mars season four with the murder head thing. But it's a show that's controversial and, and fun. And uh, th- that's that's a good place to leave it. So for everybody listening, uh, thank you so much. And we will see you next time.